that mm-hmm. was extremely challenging. You know, I ended up getting depression for a good four years during that period because I just didn't know how to cope. So um, it, it took a huge toll on me. It mm-hmm. took a toll on my relationship with my dad. It took a toll on our whole family. Yeah. Um, Welcome again to the Figuring Life Out Together podcast. And today we're going to have a look at the topic of mental health and in particular, what it's like to have someone close to you struggle in this area. We speak to Caitlin, whose father was diagnosed with a mental illness 15 years ago. We share how tough this was, the impact it had on her life. Ultimately, hers is a story of hope, and she shares some great insights into what it's like and what has helped her through this time. Caitlin, uh, well, it's great to have you on the show. Good afternoon. Yeah. Have you been on a podcast before? I can't say that I have. Well, it's so perfect. First, first time. time for me. Yeah. Yeah. Have you been on a podcast before? Only on my own. <laughs> still, still waiting for my own uh, flip the script and someone interview me. You're waiting to be invited to be on a podcast. Yes. Well, that, that could happen. Well, you maybe I'll know. make a podcast and then I'll invite you on mine. It would be an honour. Yeah, well, but today <laughs> we'll see we're how we go. Talking a bit about mental illness yep. um, and your experiences with that. Um, so how would, let's just start, how would you define a mental illness? Um, I think everyone who's experienced it personally would say it a bit differently and then my what I would say is different again from someone that's a professional in the area. But mm. I think for me I would say it's, it's an imbalance of chemicals in your brain mm-hmm. that causes symptoms in your life. Mm. Um, and it really affects how you live your life on a day-to-day basis. Mm. I'd say there's a lot of misconceptions about that. Um, what are some that you've heard? I think the things that I've seen and I've heard a lot in my own personal experience is seeing mental illness as a moral failing or a personal failing, sometimes even a mm. spiritual failing, mm-hmm. that somehow that person has done something wrong to deserve having mm. the symptoms they have and, and having the experiences they have and that, you know, it's it's a punishment also almost on them for, you know, things they have done. Yeah, right. So it's not any of those things? I don't consider it to be any no. of those things. You know, with any illness with anything that affects your life, there's, you know, genetic and there's environmental and we have some control over the environmental. Mm -hmm. We have no control over who our parents are and and what we're predisposed to. Mm. Um, But, you know, there's plenty of people that, you know, live their life a certain way and never see any consequences from it. And then there's plenty of people that live life a certain way and seem to get every, you know, possible health issue as a result of that. So, you know, I think it's very limited to say that a power person lives their life, yeah. you know, cause or doesn't cause mental illness. A lot of the time we don't get to pick the situation that we find ourselves in. A bit like um, saying it's somebody's fault for being physically ill, would you say? Absolutely, yeah. I think we don't see the brain as an organ. We somehow forget that. And mm. so, you know, if someone gets diabetes or, you know, some problems with their lungs, people go, oh, you know, that's so sad. I'm so sorry for you. But if there's an illness in the brain, they go, oh, what's, what's, what, are you, what have you done wrong to deserve this? Like, yeah. you know, this is, this is a you problem. So, Compassion often is yeah. the best response. Yeah, and, and I think curiosity rather mm. than judgment. Yeah. You know, understanding a person's experience rather than going, well, you've done something to cause this. You need to get yourself out of it. Talk to the person. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so you've uh, grown up um, 15 years in the same family as someone with mental illness. Yeah. Can you just yeah. 
Tell me a bit about that experience. Yeah, so, you know, I left school, I turned 18, and then, you know, in that first year of uni, my dad was diagnosed with a psychiatric illness um one main one but then also if you have a mental illness often things like depression anxiety will go Mm. hand in hand Mm. with that so and that was that was very challenging I'd never really known anyone diagnosed with a mental illness or you know anything like that so it was a huge Mm. change for me but also you know outside of this idea of oh someone that I love hasn't an illness I've never heard of before it's also just the practical realities of my whole life changed and that was very difficult as well yeah right did you see that before the diagnosis in your dad? I think after we found out what the issue was, I could look back and I could see, you know, he'd become more withdrawn over the past few years and more quiet and, you know, Mm -hmm. not his, his normal self. But I think you don't, it's, you know, I said this to you before we started recording, it's the frog in the boiling water. Like you don't really know how much change has happened over a period of time Mm. until something makes you see it. You know, it was, that was our normal up until the point where, oh, this all makes sense now. Hmm. How did your dad go about explaining it to you? Um, I think he didn't really explain it to me because he was very unwell by the time he mm-hmm. was diagnosed. So right. there was a sort of a series of events of, of realising that, you know, he wasn't well, something wasn't right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my mama had explained that to me. And initially it was just the shock of of understanding that, you know, something was very wrong and not really understanding what was wrong. Mm. Um, One of the biggest symptoms of my dad's mental illness was actually alcoholism. So he'd been Mm self-medicating for his mental health problems since he was a teenager. Mm. And, you know, because alcohol is such a big part of Australian culture, I think, and culture in general, no one ever recognised that as a symptom. They just Mm. thought, oh, you know, he he likes to drink. And we didn't even realise how much alcohol he was using until it all came out. And initially we just thought, oh, he's got a problem with alcohol like this. You know, and there was that initial thing and it took a little while to realise, okay, there's more going on under the surface. Mm. Um, And sometimes you can see the symptoms of mental illness and think, oh, well, that's just someone's personal failing. He's, you know, addicted to alcohol and not realise that, no, that's actually just how... And incorrectly using using alcohol to, to self-treat a mental illness isn't healthy at all um but it's it's how he was trying to cope with something much deeper going on yeah right so how did uh, that happen how did he come to be diagnosed go and see somebody well i think once once we sort of realised there was a problem. He went downhill very fast. So yeah, right. he'd been coping yeah. and high-functioning alcoholism and, mm-hmm. and coping with everything else that was going on for a long time. Um, and then when it all kind of came out that, you know, there was this whole other part of him that we weren't seeing, he went downhill very quickly. He got um, very mm. bad depression, very bad anxiety. Mm. Um, and he just, every little thing that he'd built up over 40 years to be able to cope with what was yeah. going on just crumbled right. and he was no longer able to cope. So he ended up in psychiatric hospital and that's where he was diagnosed right. um, because yeah. he was so unwell. Um, and he just couldn't cope with day-to-day life. Do you think there was a particular trigger that, that caused that rapid descent? Um, well, the, what, what happened after we found out, um, you know, about the alcohol and everything he was mm. doing to cope, that was definitely the trigger that caused that downhill spiral. But probably about five years before, both my father and my mother's parents all died in a two-year period, mm. and some of them under mm. quite traumatic scenarios. So I think that was what really started to yeah. accelerate his mental illness and, and make it so that he was working so much harder to cope. And the alcoholism got worse, mm. um, and, you know, he became more withdrawn and more quiet. He wasn't talking, and, you know, he wasn't getting any help 
with dealing with that and it sort of all just kind of got too big for him to handle. Yeah. How's he doing now? He's doing awesome now, yeah. Like I, I think our relationship now is is so much better than it was when I was in my late teens. And mm. I'm so thankful, you know, this isn't everyone's experience with a family member with mental illness, but, you know, my dad has worked really hard and, you know, he's gone and seen, he's got a psychiatrist and a psychologist and he's worked really hard mm. um, to to get to a place where he is well and he can function. But that's been like, yeah, 10, 15 year process. To get to that place. Yeah. And he'll, and he's had good years and bad years mm-hmm. and, and, but I'm so thankful for all the work that he has put in over those years, mm. um, you know, to rebuild relationship with, you know, with our family members and, and, and to, to be well in himself, because, mm-hmm. you know, you can do, you can try and heal for other people, but ultimately you also have to heal for yourself mm. and, you know, that he's wanting to have a life that he can be healthy and he can be well for himself as well. Do you think so? there's things that you as family members did that helped your dad through that? My my mum was astonishing. Like anyone that ever hears our story just is in awe of my mum. I'm in awe of my mum. Mm. Um, she she just stayed by his side and, you know, she didn't she wasn't very happy with him <laughs> a lot of the time. It was yeah. really, really hard and yeah. it wasn't easy on her at all. But she, you know, what she would say to me is she's like, Caitlin, he's my best friend. So, you know, even though it was so hard on mm. her, she just she was just consistently there um, to, to, to support him. And, you know, a lot of people said to me, I don't know if I could do that. And I say to them, I don't know if I could do that. Like it was very, very difficult. And I watched how difficult it was for her, but, um, you know, she was just Mm. consistently always there supporting him. She obviously had hope for him then. Um, you think? Yes and no. I think, I think you do hope. I think I can only speak from my experience. Mm -hmm. I was hopeful that he would get better, but at times I didn't think he would get better mm. and it was more about, okay, what, what's, we just have to deal with the situation in front of us. Mm. Um, so I think she was hopeful, but at the same time, I think she was trying to do the best she could regardless of the outcome. Mm. And she just had to, to do what she felt was right in yeah. that, in that season. So. so what are some of the ways that life got hard or harder? Um, the way I described it at the time was that it felt like my dad had died because mm-hmm. I, I had this dad that I was really close to in the sense we'd have really close conversations and, you know, he was so funny and intelligent and we would laugh and we'd all go to dinner and, and those sorts of things and that just all went away and then suddenly mm-hmm. he was, you know, just, I mean, there's a tiredness but he was just so sad and angry and withdrawn all the time so the way I would describe it he was like I feel like my dad died mm-hmm. and this stranger moved into my house that suddenly I had to live with even though I didn't know who that person was so as like a teenager like 18 years old that mm-hmm. was extremely challenging yeah. um yeah. and you know I ended up getting depression for a good four mm-hmm. years during that period because I just didn't know how to cope mm-hmm. with what had happened I was going through uni and and yeah. all of that so um it, it took a huge toll on me it mm-hmm. took a toll on my relationship with my dad it took a toll on our whole family um so you know it's easy to sit here now and go oh yeah everything's great now but it was it was very very challenging very hard yeah did anyone recognize that depression in you and no 
know. <laughs> I was very good at covering because I didn't really, I didn't see it in myself. I didn't, it mm-hmm. wasn't until like after four years that I really recognized that's what it was. Mm. I just thought I was tired. I just thought life was difficult because mm-hmm. of uni and I just, I just had to get through it. I just had to get through it. So I just, you know, I, you know, go up my friends or I'd come to church and be like, how are you? And I'm like, oh, everything's fine because, you know, it wasn't, I didn't really understand it myself. And if I, even if I did, it's too hard to try and explain to someone yeah. in a cursory conversation. Right. So I just kind of, I just kind of got on with it <laughs> until I couldn't physically do that anymore. And what happened then? Um... I think I have this memory because I'm I was studying to be a midwife and a nurse and I'm a midwife mm. nurse. So I graduated and I have this memory of being on a night shift at about two in the morning and one of these new mums was buzzing for help and I just couldn't go answer the buzzer. Mm. I was just I got so angry and so upset in myself I'm trying to be calm on the outside and professional but I just couldn't go into the buzzer because and internally I'm thinking like why are you why are you buzzing I have nothing to give you and I think that mm. was my rock bottom of going wow I really my tank is completely empty I have nothing left to give this isn't this isn't what being healthy feels like this isn't what being well feels like mm. uh, I think that was when I first realized okay there's something going on yeah right yeah. so where did you turn then? What did you do? Well, I mentioned earlier that all my grandparents had died yeah. very close to each other. And I was very thankful and very lucky that my mum had got me into therapy at that point. So from when I was 14. So I think my, my psychologist, she probably knew there was stuff going on, but I wasn't, I didn't fully tell her everything because I didn't like to admit when I was struggling and I didn't fully understand how much I was struggling myself. So mm. I think she probably had a bit of an inclination, but I was very good at pretending everything was fine but I already had a relationship with her so when I realized things were not okay I was already in therapy and I could start to be a bit more open and be like oh look this is what's happening Mm -hmm. and we started to work on the practical things you can work on there's a lot of the things you can't work on with mental health but some practical things that helped Mm me um, so things like working on my diet, I wasn't eating very well. I wasn't sleeping very well. My iron levels were low. So those were the first steps for me was, okay, what can we practically work on to make it a little bit easier for you mm. to cope? And then at the same time, of course, you have to work on the stuff that's not physical, all the, the psychological stuff in your mind and all of your experiences that have yeah. caused you to be in the situation you're in. So it was, it was, it was a very difficult experience, but looking back now, I can kind of see the journey into it and the journey out of it. Mm. But yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting thing to look back on now after so many years. I can imagine it's all interconnected. So was it hard to like work on your diet and your, your sleep and physical health when you're going through that? I think, I think yes and no, but by that point I'd hit rock bottom. I'd realized there was a problem and I didn't want to stay there. Mm -hmm. And my dad always said to me, even growing up, which is a funny thing to look back on now, but he used to say that change is never going to happen until the pain of changing is less than the pain of remaining the same. Yeah. And that was true. I think with his mental health journey and with mine, I didn't want to stay where I was. Mm -hmm. I wanted things to be better. So that helped push me to make the changes I needed to make and those sorts of things. Mm. Do you think looking back, there's anything both in your journey and your dad's journey where, you know, that something could have been done earlier or that's just the way it had to play out? I think that's a really good question because dad actually went through two, I kind of think of it as two different parts in his mental health journey. The first part I mentioned earlier, he was really doing it 
for me and mom. He wanted to get better for us. Mm. And that worked for a while and then that stopped working. And that's when he really had to go, okay, I want to get better for me. Yeah, right. So, you know, I've, I've had conversations with my psychologist before about, oh, I wish that so-and-so would go to therapy or, you know, I wish that mm-hmm. this was situation. She sort of said to me, you can't push anyone into therapy. You can drive them to the appointment and you can make them sit in the chair, but unless they want to be there, mm-hmm. um, nothing's going to change. So with my dad, I hazard a guess that, it kind of just had to happen the way it happened. It had to all unfold because he didn't, you know, know that he needed help until mm-hmm. he realised he needed help. And that was my experience as well. I, I wouldn't have accepted. I was already in therapy. Yeah. But until I was ready to recognise that I had a problem and yep. that I didn't want things to, to stay the same way forever, I wasn't, there wasn't any meaningful change being made. Okay. So what's the best thing a friend or a family member can do if somebody they love and care about mm. is in that stage of not, recognizing it um it's difficult because there's not actually a lot you can do Mm. which is a hard thing to say but consistency you know I have had friends where I've looked at them and I've gone hmm I wonder because I'm seeing things that I went through Mm. and that I'm recognizing with and you know and even with my dad sometimes he'll go through periods where he's doing really well and he'll be periods where he's struggling and I might just say something like you know have you considered that? Or mm. I've noticed that maybe, and you just sort of ask probing, gentle questions. I don't yeah. think it's really helpful to look someone in the eye and tell them you have a serious problem and you need to change. Because mm. unless, I think that's sort of the very end of the road, unless you're in a completely dire situation and it, that's the only thing you can do, they're probably not going to respond too well to that. They're probably going to feel a bit affronted yeah. and a bit yeah. judged. So I think, like I said before, curiosity rather than judgment, you sort of just ask little probing questions like Mm. have you noticed that your mood does this or have you considered that maybe you know you might be dealing with a little bit of depression Mm. um and you know I've had a I had a relationship where I I said that to that person every six months for a couple of years Mm -hmm. and then you know they got to a point where they're like oh actually maybe yes I do recognize Mm. this in myself and and I'd sort of just open those doors so when that person was ready to have that conversation we'd already Mm. kind of Pre, mm. pre-discussed it and then sort of laid the groundwork for it. So mm. curiosity, I think, is a good way to approach things yeah. and gentleness um, because it's very easy <clears throat> to bring our own frustrations into the situation because, you know, supporting someone with mental health can be very frustrating because you want things to change and they're not changing and yeah. that can just be really hard to watch. But, um, yeah, bringing your, fr- uh, your frustrations <laughs> to someone that's struggling is probably not the best way of handling it. Yeah, so there's layers of support. Mm-hmm. The supporters need support themselves. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And if I was going to say one thing to someone supporting someone with mental health, mm-hmm. like you, you have to take care of yourself first. You know, I'm a midwife. I say this to new mums all the time. Like you have to put the oxygen mm-hmm. mask on yourself yep. before you can help anyone else because if you're completely burnt out and drained, you're not going to provide any support whatsoever. Mm-hmm. So it's really taking care of yourself first and understanding how much you can give and then just being consistent with what you mm-hmm. can do rather than feeling like you have to do absolutely everything and then burning out yep. every six weeks or every six mm-hmm. months. I guess recognising it's going to be a, a long-term journey uh-huh. might help that yep. you don't throw yourself in yep. beyond what you can sustain. Yeah. I was chatting to someone recently and their sibling had just been diagnosed with mental health illness and at first I was just so overcome with grief for them because I could see they were at the very start 
of mm. a journey that I've been on for like 15 years. Mm-hmm. And initially I was like, oh, honey, but, you know, telling them this is going to be 15 hard years of work <laughs> is not very encouraging. No. But, you know, just saying to them, like, it is, it's, it's, a, it's a marathon, it's mm-hmm. not a sprint. Um, I don't even think marathon's the right term because, you know, you're a marathon runner after about half a day, you're like, you're yeah. done and you get to go home. But it's, it's yeah, it's a, it's a very, very long process. Mm. And, you know, I think if you can be consistent with a little bit of support, that's mm-hmm. better than being like everything and then nothing and then everything and then nothing. Just, you know, being consistent with what you can give um, and then taking care of yourself yeah. as well. And yeah. I guess for you now, it, you've found that, you know, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. Yep. That it's um, that journey. Yeah. When you look on back on that, is it yep. something that you think, well, I wish I didn't have to go through that or is there a silver lining that you can see now when you look back? Mm. That's, a, that's a difficult one because I think I have a very, maybe not a unique story, but I have one of the better case scenario stories. Mm-hmm. You know, the person that, you know, my dad, you know, he was willing to put, in time and effort and he wanted to see change and and that's not everyone's story and it's not even so much about if the person wants to change or not or if they're willing to put time and effort in and those things are important mm. but sometimes no matter what a person does they just can't seem to to have freedom from their symptoms and have freedom from yeah. their illness and um it's it's very easy to speak from personal experience and be like, oh, this is my experience and there's light at the end of the tunnel and it's great and it's all going to be great. But, you know, even though I feel like I've had a very positive experience with my dad, it's not like he's cured. It's not like we hit a point where like, oh, he's fixed Mm -hmm. now. Everything's back to normal. And so, you know, other people might look at our scenario and go, oh, wow, that's so difficult. Like what you deal with is so difficult. But for us, we've reached a normal Mm -hmm. that works for us. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, where we're thrilled that we're in this position but you know I don't think mental illness is the way I describe it for myself with my depressions I'm not my depression isn't gone it's that I'm in remission Mm -hmm. I'm no longer experiencing those symptoms you know feeling tired not getting out of bed not being able to shower Mm -hmm. not experiencing any joy you know those sorts of things like I don't experience those symptoms currently but I know if I don't take care of myself I can very much end back up in that space so I'd say yes there's light at the end of the tunnel but it's not that sense of oh everything will be fixed and Mm it'll all go back to the way it was you find a new normal and you find a new way of 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 dealing with the challenges you have in life and to another person it might look like your life is really difficult and they're like Mm -hmm. oh I could never do all of that um that's really hard but you know you'll find a place where you feel better mm-hmm. about things and you f- you find a place where you can manage with what you have to deal with so yes there is light at the end of the tunnel but it's not a sense of everything's going to be fixed 100 percent. it's like you're going to find a way to get through that yeah. works for you the problem is still there but you've adjusted mm-hmm. you've learned yeah. about the problem yeah and you're in a place where that problem's there but mm-hmm. almost you've grown around yeah. it you've grown to be able to handle that yeah yeah become a stronger person would you say I think I have become a stronger person I think the one if I could say you asked me before I didn't answer it you know (laughs) would I would I wish that I hadn't gone through all of this I think no I wish that I wish that my dad wasn't in pain I wish that he hadn't Mm. been in pain I wish my mum hadn't been in pain and I guess to a certain extent I wish I hadn't been in pain but Going through all of that helps me to understand other people's pain better. It makes me have more sympathy and empathy mm-hmm. for others. Um, less in my little 
bubble of of childhood where nothing ever goes wrong and no one ever has any problems and more an adult like all right you know life can get really really difficult and I understand a part of that so I'm going to come to those situations with with that curiosity and that gentleness and not just assuming that Mm -hmm. that person's done something wrong to be in that situation or they're you know it's self-inflicted so yeah well if there's someone listening to this that's in quite a desperate situation let's say you know what would you say to someone that's a tough one because it's easy to say this is what I did. Mm-hmm. Everyone's situation looks different. And the, the first thing I say to anyone is you, you need to ask for help. Um, but it's also hard to get help these days. We know COVID has put a lot of mental illness. Um, it's caused a lot of problems. And they, it's hard to get help these mm-hmm. days. You can go to your GP. You can get a referral for a psychologist. You can go on medication. But you might not be able to get the help that you need for a long period of time mm-hmm. and that can be really difficult. I think recognising you do need help is very powerful mm-hmm. um, and then, you know, just the, start with the small things because you can't tackle it all at once. So, you know, you go see your GP and, and they will refer you for help but, all right, what is one thing that I can start working on mm. that's going to make things a little bit better because you can't it's a it is it is a Mm long-term walk it's usually not a short-term fix and if you feel like you have to tackle all of it all at once it's overwhelming so Mm. asking for help and then just working on one thing at a time one thing at a time one thing yeah so you know for me it was okay my iron levels are so low that's why I'm having trouble getting out of bed Mm. on top of being depressed so Mm. You know, I went to the GP and we got, I got on iron tablets and I got regular blood tests mm. and, you know, that was the first thing that I worked on yeah. was just, okay, I'm just going to fix my <clears throat> iron levels. Is there a medical basis yeah. to what I'm feeling? And it doesn't some... mean that that was my whole issue, mm. but once my iron levels were better, I had a little bit more energy yeah. and a little bit more ability to, okay, what's the next thing I want to work on? It's so, like building blocks, one, yeah. one brick at a time. Yeah. Build the wall. Yeah. yeah, and that's, you know, I think you do need that professional advice though because every person's situation is different. So the GP's a good place to start. Mm. Just tell me at the end here, um, how has your faith played out through all of this? Were there times where you were wondering, you know, how could God let somebody go through this and that sort of thing? I think the first four years when I was when I had depression and I was sort of reeling through all of this, um, my faith felt very dormant. It felt very grey. The way Mm. I describe my whole life feels grey. There's no white, there's no black, it's just all shades of grey. And then I think that moment that I realised I needed help, I realised that God had brought me to that moment. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm. And one of the things that I did when I needed help was I went and I asked for one of the ladies in our church to pray for me. And that was a very significant moment for me spiritually because I'd been trying to do it all myself. I'd just been trying to cope Mm. and deal with it. And I needed physical help, but I also needed spiritual help. And I think spiritually letting go of trying to do it all myself and asking God for help made a huge difference. Mm. And then I started to see in my physically in my life but also spiritually that the help would come and it wasn't like I was fixed overnight I didn't someone didn't pray for me and I got instantly healed of my depression Mm. and never had an issue again but I started to see 
that that one step at a time, that little by little, God mm. would help me with the first thing. And then you'd see yeah. a bit of a victory there and then you'd help with the second thing. And then the first thing would need more work. So you'd go mm -hmm. back. And so it wasn't very much like God fixed it and one, two, three, done. It was very much of seeing God providing the help for the next mm. step. And sometimes you do feel like you're going in circles, but God was always there to to pick me back up and, mm. and to keep going. Not so. to be discouraged if it's not fixed straight away, but to keep mm. keep going, keep yeah. taking that step that helps a little yeah. bit. It's not, it's not how many times you fall down, it's how many times you yeah. pick yourself back up. So yep. well, I didn't even have to pick myself back up. God was always there to help me. Yeah. And just that encouragement in those moments where mm. it felt too difficult to keep going. If um, somebody watching or listening would uh, like to reach out to you, would you be open to that? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, could they contact you? <laughs> I'm on Facebook. I don't check my Facebook very often. I'm, I'm here on a Sunday at Catalyst, um, or you could get in contact with Tom and he can put you in contact with me. But, yes, very happy to, to chat to anyone if they would like to chat. Fantastic. Well, thank you for chatting with us today, Caitlin. Thank you for having me. Very uh, brave uh, and... Um, Powerful story. Thank you. Thank you. I think uh, Caitlin shared very well then. What do you think? Let us know in the comments what stood out to you most. And I would encourage you to get in contact uh, with either Caitlin or myself. Uh, you can send me a message. Uh, check out what we're all about at haventogether.com. Otherwise, if you're interested in listening to some more podcasts, I encourage you to check out one we've done recently with Portia about social health. Hope you can join us again next time for the Figuring Life Out Together podcast.